This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, I'm Margot Rose. I was Eileen in the Inner Light on Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are the lovely Amy Nelson and the wonderful Richard Marquez. Amy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Thank you so much. How are you? I'm doing great. Good to be here every week talking about Next Generation. I know. I love it. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Uh, yeah, doing good. <laughs> so before we get started on uh, today's topic, which will be favorite character moments from season two, we wanted to read some uh, feedback from the Babel Conference on episode 210, which was our courtroom dramas uh, part two. Yeah, this was a really good thread if you had a chance to look at that on the Babel Conference. And Tim Hans says, always enjoyed the episode Devil's Do, as it was originally conceived as an episode for the aborted Phase 2 series, which Justin nicely mentioned in his fact check. It has that old TOS feel to it, despite being reworked for TNG. So thank you, Tim. Uh, yeah, that phase two, I don't know much about it, but glad that Justin mentioned it. Yeah, thanks, Tim. I, I guess, uh, yeah, as I thought about it more, it does have more of a, a TOS kind of uh, feel to it. And uh, and Amy, phase two, it was kind of an interesting thing that they were going for like a second original series kind of TV show before they went off into a movie. I'm sure Aaron Harvey will be talking more about that on Saturday Morning Trek coming up, but it's an interesting little corner of of, uh, of Star Trek history. Yeah. Uh, Ken said, hello, Earl Grey team. I have called Denny Crane at Boston Legal and told uh, him to not pursue charges. <laughs> like anything Played by stick. William Shatner, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like anything would stick. <laughs> anyway, um, I did wear my uh, uh, army uh, shirt. Shirt? Shirt? He said shirt? It's a uniform, dude. <laughs> Size medium, by the way. Uh, not Not too bad for a 51-year-old. <clears throat> sailor, not warrior, <laughs> to honor our wager. Going from uh, Navy to Army is like going from the big leagues to double A. I, I'm actually, I don't know if I want to read this now. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Do you want me to read it? No, no, no. We're good. We're good. I got it. I got it. In all seriousness, you guys took some risks in, uh, in your analysis, and I like that. You were respectful across the board, and that usually, uh, usually allows for controversial areas to be navigated without being without getting hammered positive intent is the key which 
um, when discussing religion and beliefs. Let's tie two episodes together and demonstrate how Starfleet is inconsistent and maybe shows favoritism between the ranks. I do believe Wesley should have uh, should have been expelled as justice was not equal uh, in this regard. I totally agree with that. Um, Kruvin Tarsus lie, uh, lied on his application out of fear. Unfounded, unfounded fear, IMO. Or, in my opinion. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I... I I always, I always wrote right out that I hate abbreviations, um, especially when it comes to comments. Um, if he had, if he had been honest, he would have been vetted and cleared. Lieutenant Savick has the same, uh, same heritage. Ethically, he lied and he is out. Now, now we go to to our friend Wesley. Wesley lied, hid the truth, and should have been lined up on a firing squad. And should have uh, Ken should didn't be. write that. <laughs> <laughs> and should have been out as well. Why the double standard? Yeah, I I told. Uh, thank you, Ken, for um, a uh, uh, disp- dispelling those charges against us. I I certainly do appreciate that. Um, and um, yeah, that army uniform looked really good on you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks, Ken, for the the comments of course ken's the co-host of, of standard orbit and we very much appreciate he uh, listens to all of our episodes and, and makes a lot of comments um so i think there are a couple of interesting things in here because i hadn't thought about uh having like a double standard for for wesley and why isn't he expelled and you know i thought about it and i think ken you're right uh, it wasn't quite right that he should have have stayed in because of of what he did but then we had a further discussion because he was he was talking about uh, Lieutenant Savick having the same heritage, of course, Savick that was in Star Trek two, three, and four, and you know I just had a question for him ab- about that having the same heritage as as Tarsus, and you know I, I guess it was the intention, and there was a scene film that Savick would be revealed to be half Romulan, but it was cut from the the film, so that would have been really interesting, but it it, it didn't really ap- appear there, but. Yeah, there does seem to be a double standard going on, and we appreciate you keeping us honest on these things, Ken. Had it been done today, he probably would have been kicked off the show <laughs> for doing something like or that. Or maybe character. thrown in jail for life. Yeah, right? <laughs> and they wouldn't need him unless they were looking for like missiles or something like that. <laughs> As we said before, uh, today we'll be continuing our series on favorite character moments from each season of The Next Generation and the movies, which we'll get to eventually. And on this episode, we're talking about season two. So we've each chosen three moments we feel are great character moments. And it could be for a main character, any other character that we see during the course of the season. So it's it's fairly open for that. So let's go through our first picks. Uh, Amy, what's your first pick? Well, I... I know I said Richard in the outline. I'm just surprising you. I know. <laughs> I was like, Okay. <laughs> Just change it up a little bit. I've learned that from Brandon Shamatala, who li- who likes to surprise us like he did on the last Edge episode, right, Amy? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mentioned this a uh, couple episodes back when we talked about Loud as a Whisper, and I just have to say it again here with Troy and Reva. And I think um, I'm including it here because it really shows Troy's character. And so what I'm talking about is when Troy decides to try her hand at negotiating with the Soleans when uh, Reva's chorus is killed and he decides that he just can't go on. 
So I just think this really speaks volume to her character and her determination to try and help others and to uh, get the Salayans on to forward moving for peace. And uh, I think she also, it shows her character that she recognizes that you know, she's not a negotiator uh, by trade, and so she has limited skills and goes to Reba and asks for his advice. And I think that takes a, a big person to recognize your deficiencies and to get advice so that you can be better. And so I think that really shows her character in this. And again, my favorite part is, you know, she's talking to Reba and Reba's explaining, well, you know, it doesn't matter what the original uh, dispute was. You have to find, you know, and take their disadvantage and turn it to an advantage. And then Counselor Troy just turns that right back to him and uses those words to him and says, well, why can't you take this disadvantage and turn it as an advantage? And again, just a classic counselor technique. And so I wanted to highlight that as it really does show her character so early on in this in this uh, series. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good moment. Richard, any thoughts about about that? No, not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I'll add a few thoughts to it. I I think that it's um, you know, sometimes people criticize Troy and saying that she's not doing the counseling that that she should. Um, but I think she very much in in that episode um, is doing counseling for Riva. And I mean, also just in simply by asking him the question, how does it work for you to do the diplomacy that you do? That's helping to bring him out of his despair a little bit after his chorus is, is killed and giving him some kind of sense of, of usefulness and, and a purpose so that he can, he can help her. Uh, so I think she's do it like in that part and in, in the later part where they're kind of coming up with this solution. She's doing some really great counseling, even if it's not something that's on the bridge, even if it's not something that's taking place like, you know, in her quarters or office or whatever, counseling a, a crew member. I think she's doing a great job of turning the situation around and asking the important questions to to get him out of that despair and, and kind of moving past things and focusing on the task at hand. Yeah, this really shows uh, what a great counselor that she is. She's a great counselor. Yeah. Right, Richard? <laughs> yes, I, I will answer like, for him. Uh, no. <laughs> that's like that's like saying I want to go to Beverly Crusher to get uh, treated. <laughs> hey, I'm sure she doesn't kill everybody. <laughs> oh, I didn't say Deanna. Oh, yeah, not everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, let's not to be too hard on them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Richard, uh, let's have your first pick. Um, so I chose. I I, I figured you would chose uh, chose this, but I like I pushed. Okay, so I pushed all the one. Okay, so I already went through every single one of them, and I knew which ones you guys were probably gonna choose them. So I didn't choose them. <laughs> okay, we'll sure? see how it goes out. Are you out? sure? We'll see how um, it plays out. And um, I'll go. I'll go with the. Uh, uh, the standard and let's go with the manner of honor for Riker. I think uh, it's one of the best episodes ever of Trek of all times. Uh, Cause you know, it's, it shows two different worlds and you know, it definitely shows uh, what it looks like on a bridge on the other side of a, uh, of a Klingon uh, warbird and same thing with what they would have done on, on, on our end, I guess the Federation. So, um, and it definitely, 
showed how much character he had and just how much he's willing to do his uh, do uh, his job in order to, I guess, in a sense, learn and you know possibly even later on down the road to keep the peace if if he needs to um, encounter Klingons again. But uh, yeah, I think this is a great. I, I, I love I love I mean one of the things that I really lo- love about uh, uh, love about this episode is that is the mess hall scenes. I love all those scenes because it's just, I mean, I've said it before, it reminds me of um, those old barracks and uh, uh, decaf uh, cafeteria uh, times where everyone's having a great time, telling stories, messing with people and all that kind of stuff. It's just a great time. Yeah. Well, and and in case listeners aren't quite remembering from, from the title, this is the one where Riker is doing an exchange and serving as a first officer on a Klingon ship, right? Right, right. Yeah. You know, that's a that's a great episode. Go ahead, Amy. Yeah, I have to agree this is, and it really does show Riker's character with his integrity and his work ethic. I mean, you see that he is continually doing the best that he can, and he's consistent in that throughout all the seasons, and it really shines through here where he's going to be the best first officer that he knows how, and he's still going to have integrity without... Uh, you know, revealing any Federation secrets like the Klingon captain wanted him to do, but, you know, still have that honor. And it just really does show what type of person uh, Commander Riker is. Uh, yeah, it really does. And and he's he's fearless. You mentioned uh, that part where he's not giving up the, the secrets. And I love what that Riker is going to stand up to the Klingon captain, you know, and saying, I'll serve on the ship as a first officer, I'll die with you in battle if I have to, but I took an oath to Starfleet that I'm not going to betray them or give up their secrets, so I cannot do that. And he gets the respect of the Klingon captain who says, well, if you'd given up the secrets, I probably would have killed you, but now you can just die with us. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I think that's a really great moment. I mean, Riker, I think, shows again and again that he's really fearless and he's going to do exactly what he needs to do. And he's going to uphold, you know, the, the oath that, that he has. And if there's a perceived conflict, he's going to, to really resolve that and, and, you know, be true to all of the oaths that he's given in the past. So, yeah, I think there's some great moments for him in there. I wish we would have seen more like that. Actually. I think in some ways Riker was underutilized over the course of the show. Yeah. And one other thing I was thinking, like what Richard talked about, like in the mess hall, like Riker really embraces learning about this other culture and isn't afraid to learn about it. And, oh, they're so different. I don't want to, you know, learn about them. And, you know, so I really appreciate his willingness to just envelop the entire culture and do their actions and say their words and talk with fierceness and, you know, jive with the women warriors. It's, it's really good scenes there. And I'll just mention one other thing, which is I love that when he's preparing for this mission and he's on the Enterprise D, he's in 10 forward and he's ordered a bunch of, of Klingon dishes, you know, gawk and all that kind of stuff, which we're seeing, some of which we're seeing for the first time. And he's eating it with like real relish. He's like, I'm going to throw myself into this and I'm going to love it. So I, that's it's just a wonderful part of Riker's character that he'll just throw himself into anything and he'll enjoy it. Yeah. Now, if everyone would be so willing to learn and be open to new cultures and new ideas, that's the twenty uh, fourth idealism, right? I don't know if I'm getting what you're going for. 
Oh, I'm just because so, sometimes so many people are afraid to try new things. And oh, oh, I thought you were talking about a specific character. No, I'm just saying if everyone in this world right now would be so willing okay. to enjoy and learn about other cultures, I think it'd be a we'd be one step closer to our 24th utopia. Okay, I agree. I thought it was a dig at Wharf, actually. No. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. <laughs> so, Justin, what's uh, your first pick? Okay, so my first pick comes from the episode where silence has least. Now, this is the one where there's this powerful uh, character that wants to kind of experiment on the Enterprise, right? And there's, there's, you know, a particular part of the episode where Picard has basically had enough and he set the auto-destruct sequence and he's just going to relax in his quarters, right? And so he's, you know, sitting there relaxing while the countdown's going on, listening to some classical music. Uh, in comes Data and, and Troy and they're going to, you know, talk with him about this decision and try to convince him to, uh, to, to not set the auto-destruct sequence because before Nagilam, this powerful character... Um, had said he was just going to kill half of everybody on on the ship just to see what it's like, um, and and Picard figures out what's going on, and you know these were projections from Nagilam, and they just disappear, right? And then from from the the bridge, they're like, okay, they're go- you know we're clear, you can uh, take off the auto destruct sequence. He's like, not yet. They're like, what? <laughs> so he goes over to the bridge and he says, you know, go warp six, any heading, let's get out of here, and he leaves it until like the last second before he's going to abort the auto-destruct sequence because he wants to make absolutely sure that this isn't another trick. And I love that you see that in in Picard's character where he's willing to take the risk in order to be absolutely sure that his crew is going to be safe. Even when everybody else around him thinks that he's insane for waiting to the last second, he's going to make sure he does what he needs for the safety of the ship. And And I just love that. And I think it's one of those instances that's the clearest expression of him making sure his his crew is going to be safe yeah and that's even pointed out you know when wesley's like wow he sure you know called his bluff and then riker's like (laughs) are you sure he was bluffing and it's like oh he would have you know and if riker who's like a master poker player isn't sure if picard was bluffing or not then he's done an amazing job of like Keeping everybody guessing, including Nagilam, I guess. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's just a really great moment for for Picard. I think maybe that's the reason why he never got invited to the poker table. I know he had open invitation. <laughs> yeah, but there you go. Yeah, I don't <sighs> think he. I don't think they wanted to really play play against him. Yeah, he's too good at bluffing. <laughs> yeah. That could be actually the first time we see poker is in Measure of a Man, which is later in the season. Maybe you know they'd started up this poker um, game and they're like. Remember what he did when he was going to blow up the ship at the last second? Let's not keep him at the yes. poker table here. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. I like the explanation. Uh, Amy, your second choice. Okay. So there were just so many. I was talking with the guys earlier. Just I love season two so much. And so I'm hoping that I'm not taking someone else's um, pick. But I went to the Dauphin. And where Wesley is trying to get advice on how he can approach Celia. And <clears throat> so he starts with Jordy. And we don't know why we he would start with Jordy. <laughs> I guess we don't learn about Jordy's 
uh, up in rocky relationships until later. But, you know, Jordy's advice, just say hi and then say whatever comes next. Well, that doesn't work. So he talks to Worf and oh my, what this whole <laughs> sequence is just so great. And it jumps to Worf screaming and well, that's what the women do. And the men read poetry. That is hilarious. <laughs> And Data jumps in and Wesley's like, I want to meet her. I don't want to dissect her. But my favorite part, which I think a lot of uh, fans enjoy, is Riker and Guinan in 10 forwards. So Wesley goes to Riker to get some advice from, of course, Riker, who we all know is pretty good with the ladies. And that scene in 10 forward with Guinan is awesome. You know, and just how it goes through and you're the most beautiful woman in the galaxy. And it sounds like a line. Oh, what's is that? Am I not sincere? Well, there's nothing wrong with the line. It's like a knock at the door. Are you inviting me in? I'm not sending <laughs> you away. Like the whole thing is just so perfectly written. And the the interplay between Riker and Guinan is just perfect. And we can see it's I just Love it, love it, love it. I could quote it all day long. Are you putting me on a pedestal? You might not be able to reach me. Then I'll learn how to fly. You're the heart in my day and the soul in my night. I'm telling you, if Riker was saying that to me, I'd be jello right there in my seat. <laughs> and then Wesley's like, totally forgotten. He's like, you guys, and Guinan, shut up, kid. Now tell me more about my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that is like the best scene in season two. I love, love, love it. It's pretty great. I don't know about best scene in season two, but oh. it's pretty. It, I, I love it. I always laugh because they're doing all this over the top um, uh, stuff. And but like as far as a character moment, do you feel like that that's a good one for for Guinan or for Riker? Or well, both, I'm sort or? of throwing all three of them in because I think it really shows, you know, Wesley and how comfortable he is with the crew and how they are really taking him under their wing to train him and, you know, take watch out for him since his mother's not on board, especially during this season. So we get to see that in his relationship and it, with the the crew. But yeah, between Riker and Guinan and just how they play off of each other, it's it's very good. So I'm throwing three characters into one. Okay. Well, Guinan does tell Wesley to shut up, so I don't know how much she respects him, but she's like, uh, get away, kid. Yeah, well, I threw that in for Richard. <laughs> Richard approves, I think. I do. Yeah. I do. Anytime <laughs> anyone says shut up to Wesley, I'm, I got it. I'm good. I, I got it. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess it is good good in you know seeing them in this in this kind of flirty humorous setting which i don't know how much you you see guinan in that kind of setting or wesley trying to learn from that so yeah it's 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 pretty interesting what do you think richard to me it's a it's an act i don't know about character uh uh you know forward but like yeah it definitely uh shows how skilled they are i guess i yeah uh yeah <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I like. I mean, I love the scene. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, it's it's uh, it's hilarious to uh, to watch uh, watch them interact between each other. I mean, what she's out howled. Who Guinan? Yeah, she's like some hundreds, some yeah, hundreds, a couple of years hundreds old. years old versus 
you know, Riker, who's like at this age, what he's like in, in I would say his late twenties. No, probably early thirties. Mm, maybe in thirties. Yeah. 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 So I mean, it's just, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, so Richard, your second choice. Okay, so I had a feeling that you were going to choose this one or um, or something like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, <laughs> Pen pals, I love this episode. I love that, um, and it's obviously towards Data. Actually, it's probably more for, uh, you know, I guess, uh, detailing uh, what they actually mean by first, con- or, uh, you know, General Order number one, I mean, in, in actually meddling in with a pre-warp civilization. But, um, so this episode is obviously, you know, uh, girls asking for help, and Data happens to be the one that uh, that answers their back. And um, and then the dilemma is whether or not to help them. And I think that, I mean, it's, it's really the whole entire crew, really, because, I mean, I love that whole scene where they're, like, their opinions matter. Um, Picard has them all sitting around in his, um, in his actual quarters and talking about what they should do, um, and whatnot. And now, obviously, I would hope that he has a lot of experience up to then, but I mean, like, uh, hearing it from different perspectives, it definitely, um, it tells, uh, it shows um, where where they're all at, as in uh, what they believe in, and, um, especially when it deals with a little girl from a pre-war civilization that's asking for help um, and and whatnot. So, but yeah, I mean, I absolutely, I mean, this is probably for everyone, but I think it's more for Data, obviously, because uh, he's the one that's uh, that made the contact and, and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah, it shows him really having concern for someone outside of the the crew Mm -hmm. and really having you know this care and compassion even though he supposedly doesn't really have emotions i think he does have some sort of understanding or emotional attachment to this person who just wants some some help so it does show some some interesting things about data and that it isn't just all black and white like there's this regulation and that's it He's going, he has curiosity too. He has a certain almost like scientific curiosity for what's going on with other species. So he's going to intervene here. So yeah, I think it's a really strong episode for showing him as, as more than just, you know, the, the android that, that talks too much and is very intelligent and knowledgeable. It shows that he can look beyond that and he's also really wants to to help others even if they're not part of his crew or the federation yeah what do you think amy yeah pen pals is a a great episode and and we do get to see data like say care even though that's an emotion but you know care for uh this little girl and and the world that's you know on the verge of erupting and being destroyed so definitely we get to see him and his sort of his logic and it's interesting to note that Pulaski is sort of the one that says well that is a cry for help and backs up data and says that yeah we need to intervene so I I like the interplay between Pulaski and data in this episode as well yeah definitely all right I guess I'll give my second choice now oh yes it's a choice from Q who which is the episode that introduces the Borg it's specifically the scene where uh, Q takes <clears throat> Picard back on onto the ship into Ten Forward and Guinan's there. What I love about the the scene that that ensues is that Q 
it seems like he's afraid of Guinan or has had some previous dealings with her. And I think before this, since we've just seen Guinan in a couple episodes, she's kind of mysterious. Seems like she's long lived and has known Picard for a while. But we don't really know too much more about her. And and I like that this kind of adds to that aura of mystery, like she's a being who who might be really powerful, powerful enough that someone who's supposedly omnipotent like Q has reason to be afraid and to want to, you know, kind of fling her off the off the ship if he can, right? I mean, they don't necessarily take it further after that, but I like that we learn here that that Guinan is really this powerful figure that's on the ship. So like I, I feel in some ways after this point that no matter what might happen, that you do have Guinan there who's going to have a certain almost like supernatural wisdom or like a a, a power equivalent to Q's that you'll that everything's going to be all right no matter what situation that they get. And even if you don't see Guinan all of all of the time, I like to imagine between the the episodes that there are these adventures that they're happening that are happening where Guinan is is helping out. And I just I don't know, that just adds like a little something extra for me to to the series when you learn that from that point forward, even if they don't, you know, develop it much after that. Yeah, I really have to agree. And it makes you wonder, yeah, does she have supernatural powers? Um, I, I tend to be on the side of no, she doesn't, but her power quote unquote is that she's so long lived. And like you said, it's that wisdom that gives her that power. And so no matter what Q would do to her, like, because she has lived so long, like she's going to endure and find a way to get back at Q because she has all of this knowledge for how many hundreds of years that she and her people have lived. And so I think that really is her power, if you will, which is awesome and, you know, teaches us that once we become wise, that that adds power to us as a character in our in our lives. That's interesting because I had always thought that her power is something that is a, a bit more like like cues where she would have more power over you know space and time and dimension and things like that but i guess it could be could be either way but it just adds this this mystery and i mean it kind of feeds into things like yesterday's enterprise later where she has this knowledge of what's going on in an alternate timeline even when it doesn't exist anymore there's something that's special about her abilities and i i like that a lot Mm -hmm. what do you think richard no, I agree with you on that one. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, you guys pretty much said everything that um, I would have said anyway. But like, yeah, it, uh, for sure, uh, there uh, a perfect opportunity that we, we could have uh, found out a little bit more about her and her powers. Lack there. What be. do you think her pow- her special powers? I don't are know. That, that Q's afraid. It's got to <laughs> be something big because I mean, you would think that he could just you know snap his finger and be, she's gone. You know. But I, I don't know. It's got to be something big. It, it can't. It can't be. I mean, I, obviously, we'll probably never know. But, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, for sure, uh, it's something big that maybe she can control it and stop him. Maybe that's maybe that's ultimately what's uh, what her power is: is that she can stop everything that he does. Versus, 
Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know, she's like the brake, and he's he's the he's the gas pedal. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I mean that, that that's what I wonder because I <clears throat> I rewatched that that scene earlier today, and there is one part where they're Q and Guinan are confronting each other, and and Q says, you know, would you like me to do something about this, Picard? Like offering to kind of throw her off off the ship. So he's clearly willing to do something, but I wonder if it would just be like a battle between whatever you know power energies that that they that they would have. So I can I can imagine sort of like but. a Harry Potter sort of thing, you know, those te- two beams going into the middle. <laughs> Maybe <clears throat> there is something in Deep Space Nine like that. I won't give it away, but yeah, I, I think of yeah, that, but that like was before two Harry energy Potter. beams. Like that was before Harry yeah, Potter. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so, but yeah. Anyway, that's. I, I always love that. That's one of my favorite moments because you think about the possibilities and what it what it really means. Mm. So, and I think it does take Guinan's character to a whole different level that you never thought of before. It does for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to our third pick. So, Amy, what's your third pick? Okay. So this one again, just one of my favorites, and I'm sort of rolling a bunch of characters into the whole episode but this is, is math is it math is it math again um that's my honorable <laughs> mention so we'll get there <laughs> okay so it's manhunt and uh the characters that i'm highlighting are luaxana of course because this episode is about her and diana's reaction when she first hears and senses that her mother is coming on board like she is honestly stunned and horrified that her mother is coming on board it's so funny i just i love that and to see that interplay uh between that mother-daughter relationship i think is really good and adds to each of the characters it adds to luaxana and to deanna's um but what i really like is the interplay that luaxana has with john luke picard well she calls him john luke and, you know, when she gets beamed on board, <laughs> she's like, oh, John Luke, such naughty thoughts, you know, so glad you think of me that way. Um, and just the whole episode of Picard trying to uh, run away from Luaxana is so fun. And um, so when they're in the... Um, when Riker and Deanna are in uh, the captain's ready room and Deanna is proceeding to explain to Picard that she's in this phase, which is like uh, menopause and, you know, how her sexual drive is quadrupled. And well, and Riker's, you know, sort of saying, well, yeah, you know, Deanna told me this when we first started going out and, and she's like, or more. And then Riker's face, like, so more? good. It's like, <laughs> or more. And it's so good to see that relationship between them that you know that they have a history. And then she's like, well, I didn't want to frighten you. Um, but Picard, you're the early favorite. And then Riker's like, congratulations, sir, <laughs> and is chuckling. And Picard's like, this is not funny. Like all of that wrapped into one, each shows their characters just a little bit more on the lighter side. And I just, oh, and I love this part too. When Deanna's talking to Pulaski as they're walking through the corridor and, you know, telling her about the phase and, and Pulaski's like, oh, I just saw 
uh, captain go towards the Waxanas. And she's like, oh, should I warn him? And Pulaski's like, no, no, no. Uh, as ship's doctor, I think this is an excellent exercise in reflexes and agility for staying ahead of your mother. I mean, it's just, I think it's so good to learn a little bit more about Picard and Waxana and Deanna and Riker. So I'm sort of that whole sequence is so, so fun. I think it tells a lot about the characters and gives a little bit more backstory. So they're, so we just see them having a, l- a little more fun with things? Yes. Yeah. You know, Manhunt, I, I was trying to remember like what this one's about. So Loxana's trying to find a husband, right? Something yeah. like that. And then, so Picard's like, well, I, it's in my best interest uh, for me to, you know, make myself scarce and then ends up going into the holodeck and Luoxana, you know, finds him and then she sort of, well, she meets this holodeck character and was like, oh, I can't read you and finds him so interesting because she can't read him, but it's a holodeck. <laughs> you know, that that whole thing with, with Picard um, trying to run away and avoid Luoxana, it actually, I know it's, it's a couple seasons for now, but it reminds me in season four, I think it's half a life where it actually starts with... Deanna saying, counselor's log, my mother's on board. And you see Picard like crouching behind, <laughs> behind the corner of a corridor and just like not sure if he should uh, he should poke his head out. I, they, their interaction and how she locks on and makes Picard uncomfortable, I think is just, is yes. just hilarious. <laughs> it's, yeah, the only time we see Picard squirm and it's priceless. I love it. Pretty much. I mean, he squirms. I think less under Cardassian torture than when he sees Loxana. Exactly. <laughs> so, hmm. <laughs> Richard, well, I'm what are your he, thoughts? Well, I'm surprised he didn't, they didn't put like a com badge on him or on her, and then have the computer like warn, "Hey, she's on this deck," <laughs> you know, sort of thing, like a on the computer or something like that. Yeah. No, I. I I I think it's it's always really funny. Not everyone's of course a fan of Loxana, but I think that that she's a pretty great. Character. I wasn't I wasn't for a long time, and uh, she grew on me. So yeah. Okay, interesting choice, Richard. Your third choice. Okay, so this goes without any surprise. Can you just, can you just guess what it is? Is is it worth being hit with pain sticks in the Icarus Factor? <laughs> Dang it. No. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> I know. I was going to choose it, and I thought, you know, Richard's probably going to, you know, take up that mm-hmm. wharf one. I Come forgot on, what's better about than that, that one. That? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, I would choose that one, but that's not what I have on my list. Okay. I completely forgot about that episode. Oh, my gosh. It was in my honorable mentions. That's why I mentioned it. Huh. All right. Well, that's not what I chose. I chose the emissary. <laughs> Yay! Okay, I'm yeah. so glad because I was thinking about choosing that one too. Um, oh man, that kind of disappoints me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking about it now. So. Yeah, well, we'll talk that's about okay. it. Okay, Worf's in the emissary too. There you go. There. You go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Heck yeah, he is. But yeah, uh, <laughs> I man. That sent me for a whirl. Anyway, <laughs> but like, yeah, I definitely love this episode. Uh, it definitely shows how much of a uh, like. I don't want. I don't want to say traditionalist. Is traditionalist really a? a he, yeah, he he he. Uh, what I would say is, Worf 
is a traditionalist as far as he understands Klingon tradition. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially when it goes to like uh, what uh, to what ends he's willing to go. Obviously, Kalar doesn't really want. Okay. So FYI, this is this is the episode where um, is it Ambassador Kalar? Yeah, Ambassador. Yeah, Kalar. Ambassador Kalar uh, comes onto the ship and basically um, runs into Worf, and they had they had a. Uh, I was about to say bromance. Uh, they, had a, <laughs> they had a previous romance, uh, and and this is, I guess, the fallout. I guess so. Or yeah. So like, I mean, I absolutely love, I love how he's he's so tied in with his traditions, even though he's not a part of a, you know, really the Klingon culture like he wants to be. But I don't think he really does. I mean, do do you do you sense that with him? Like he he wants to be a Klingon. And have all the traditions, but not live with other Klingons. He would rather live with the Federation. Well, it's kind of a a tough question to get into his head, especially if we're just talking about TNG, because there's a lot more, I think, where we get to know about that in Deep Space Nine. But Mm. if you're just looking at at TNG, I think for, for Worf, he has a certain understanding of Klingon tradition, but, you know, he's lived most, he lived most of his life on Earth and, and in Starfleet, so... Mm-hmm. I think in a certain way, it's how he understands the tradition and how he understands Klingon behavior. And one of the things that is really interesting to see in this season is that Worf is usually like just so serious about things, right? But then when Riker goes over to an actual Klingon ship, then the mess hall, they're, you know, cracking jokes, having a good time. You know, like there's this side that you see to people who have been raised as Klingons and live on a Klingon ship, that's very different from Worf. So I think he's doing it as he understands it, but he's not really getting like the real experience of being immersed in Klingon society, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah, completely. But, but he sees himself as a traditionalist, at least in this stage. Right, yeah, exactly. Because he's going to keep to honor and all of the traditions and, and, and all of that. But it comes, you know... Uh, to a conflict with with Kalar, who doesn't care as much about those things, right? And is, you know, as as much human as as she is Klingon. And that's I had actually chosen the emissary as well, because I love how Susie Plaxon portrays Kalar as someone who has kind of this, you know, fierce Klingon nature, but at the same time has a lot of human qualities. She's very sarcastic and she just doesn't take things you know, as seriously for for the Klingon tradition. So, one of the reasons I love the episode is it's just it seems like a perfect melding of those those two halves, and a melding in a way that that um, it just works. I don't know. There's just something about it. Like if I had imagined before, what would someone who's half human, half Klingon be like? I don't know what it, I would imagine, but it works, right? Right. And to see that in conflict with Worf, who takes these things so seriously, and she's like, I don't take it that seriously. It's just something that people do in this society, and I'm not part of that. Implying like you're not part of that either. You're on the you're the only Klingon on this ship. So why are you, you know, taking these things so seriously? Why aren't you fitting in more with the the people that are on this Federation ship? So it's it's a really interesting conflict. Mm-hmm. Amy. Oh yeah, um, I love the emissary as well, and. Uh, it, Justin really did say it best. Like we get to see Worf's character more explored because Kalar is the opposite. You know how she's like not caring so much for the Klingon, 
you know, it's a part of her life, but she, I think, goes more for the human ideals and to not take yourself so seriously. And I think she does a really good job in blending, you know, those two ideals and two worlds and two cultures together where Worf is, you know, has grew up with humans. And so I think he tends to take it for granted or the grass is greener over at the Klingon empire, even though he's never, you know, been living there and, you know, as a Klingon. So I I don't know. I just, I think we get to see Worf's character really developed through this opposite mirror that is Kalar. Yeah. What's interesting about Kalar is she's opposite in certain ways, but the same as Worf in other ways, because you see them, you know, in this, this kind of, the Worf's calisthenics program on the holodeck and she's just as much of of you know a warrior and a fighter as he is and in fact is willing to you know almost take it further so I like that you you have that part of it but then the other part that that doesn't take things seriously and is is more just kind of you know joking about things and and trying to poke at Worf and and things like that but but then what what's also interesting is that there's this this meeting in the observation lounge where, you know, they're talking about the situation, there are these Klingons that are in in hibernation and we need to see what we can do about it. And Kalar is basically like, they're Klingons, they're killers. We just need to destroy the ship. And I feel like someone who, like Worf or someone who, you know, was more full Klingon would, would say, well, we need to treat them with honor and do this and that. And she's just like, they're killers, just destroy them. So that shows how she is very different from how someone like Worf would see something. So I think it, it's just fascinating to see and the way that they develop Kalar over just this episode and, and the second one is great. You feel like you really know her almost as much as Worf. At least that's how I feel. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Well, I think it's time for my third choice. My third choice was from the emissary. So I'll go to one of my honorable mentions, one of the ones that wasn't already taken. <laughs> like uh two well two of them have been okay so my third choice comes from elementary dear data um which is the great episode which introduces uh moriarty on the holodeck and there's just one scene i mean i I love a lot about this episode and we actually talked about it on on a previous episode quite a bit when i had lee hutchison on but the part that i wanted to talk about in particular is you know, Moriarty has been kind of created or enhanced as this adversary to defeat Data as part of this holodeck simulation. And at first, it seems like, you know, he is just kind of the evil Professor Moriarty, maybe not completely evil, but somebody who's always working against Sherlock Holmes, part of a criminal syndicate, all of that. But by the time you get to the end, and Picard comes onto the holodeck and, and, you know, is talking with Moriarty and telling him like, I'm sorry, right now we can't help you with what you want to do to live out in the real world. What I really like is that Moriarty accepts that. He's like, okay, I guess if that's what it's going to be, you can have control as you might have always had had control. So he's become more than that kind of character who's who's really just like a criminal mastermind. He's become someone that feels like more human and more reasonable and he isn't just there to defeat Data and Picard, because if he was, and he had control over the ship, he could probably just destroy the ship if he wanted to, or to harm people if he wanted to. 
but I like that 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 by the end of this, he's moved beyond that original programming, and he is a more kind of fully rounded person, and not just kind of like a caricature just there to defeat Data. So I, I like that over the course of just that one episode, you see all of that development that culminates toward the end where he's just like, okay, I'm in your hands because it seems like there's not anything else I can do. He's not going to take what might be, you know, the simpler criminal thing to do, which would be to hurt or kill someone or to destroy the ship. So, yeah, I, I agree. And interesting that you bring that up. I, I hadn't thought about it until you were talking like he does develop a sense of self-preservation. And like you said, like an evil mastermind would, you know, holodeck character would be just like, well, if that's my goal is to defeat and overtake everything, then yeah, I'm going to destroy the enterprise. But because he wants to preserve his life, you know, that doesn't make sense to, you know, destroy the enterprise because then he would also be destroyed. So seeing that transition, I think is very uh, notable. Yeah. Richard, any thoughts on Moriarty and Elementary Deer Data? Yeah. So I for sure love uh, Elementary Deer Data. I, I do love the the whole Moriarty uh, and Data, uh, like, I guess, story arc, mini story arc, I guess you could call it. And um, just uh, just the, the battle of the wits sort of thing. It's, it's, it's awesome. I love it. it I really wish they would have had more of that uh, sort of like storytelling uh, with other characters or something, maybe, maybe another villain or maybe just one other villain in, in the holodeck or something like that. Like we didn't, or something like that. What what would be like a, a top choice for you for like a, a kind of villain on, on the holodeck? I knew you were going to say that. Cause I was just thinking, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, who would be another good villain? Uh, I don't know, to be quite honest. Well, I don't think we see, well, I guess they could have done uh, something because Picard continually continually goes back to his Dixon Hill novels, um, but we don't see another holodeck program show up as consistently mm-hmm. as we do, you know, with uh, the Sherlock Holmes or the Dixon Hill. Yeah, and that, I don't or know if there's I don't know if there's <laughs> a character within Dixon Hill that would be a main villain that people are familiar with. I think most people are familiar with Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes. I, I was just thinking if they pulled something out of some other, you know, literature movie or something that would be, that would have been known at that time, that would have been interesting for them to. I just had an interesting thought. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So I just watched the movie not too long ago with the, with this commercial on it. And I was just thinking of Abraham Lincoln, the vampire hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, yeah, that probably wouldn't be a good idea. But no, I'm just uh, yeah. I, for some reason, that just popped in my head. Maybe that could be it. I don't know. <laughs> well, in Star Trek, he's not a vampire hunter. He's just you know in space. Yeah, but if they have everything we have now today, they have at least some kind of copy of it in the in the future. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> okay. Well, now that we've given our three choices, Amy, I think you have an honorable mention, right? I do. And this character is one of my favorites. It's Math. 
So, <laughs> of course, we are going to math part two. I, yes. I, I hope that we get a math reference in every single character moments episode, all 11 of them. Oh, pressure's on. Okay. <laughs> well, I did have one last uh, for season one, and I have two really good ones. I was just blown away. And I'm telling you, I was watching some episodes from season two going. How did I miss this? I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen these episodes, um, but I was watching Where Silence Has Lease, and um, you'd mentioned that, but you didn't thankfully take away my math reference. So um, this one, just for me, really highlights non-Euclidean geometry. And there's two different examples that they use within this episode. The first one uh, is fractals. And fractals is a self-similar, self-repeating pattern. And one thing that fractals are known for that when you zoom in, you see the original iteration. And so when Picard and Dr. Pulaski are asking Data to zoom into this void, it looks exactly the same. Like, and they're like, well, zoom in by a factor of 100, by 1,000 by 10,000. And the view screen shows the exact same thing. And that's what happens with fractals. And I totally, totally love that. And in my math class, when we talk about non-Euclidean geometry, I have my kids actually um, make and, and draw fractals. And we do the box fractal, Sierpinski's triangle, and the Coke snowflake. But I think what most listeners would be familiar with fractals is the Mandelbrot set um, and that uses imaginary number set instead of the real number set. So I really like that idea of fractals in the next generation. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought of it as a fractal. I was actually kind of obsessed with fractals in high school when I found out about them in, in my math class. But because I don't think they use the word fractal, but they do keep zooming in and it looks the same. I guess what you call self-similar at different, yep. all different scales. Huh. Yeah. Very good. I hadn't thought about that. Math was hiding as a character in the episode. Yes, it was. That part of the episode. But you said there's another reference. There is another reference, even within uh, that same area where they're trying to get out and they have the brilliant idea. Well, if we drop a beacon and then go away from it, then we will have that point of reference. Now, that works great in Euclidean space, but we aren't in Euclidean space. And so they're moving away from it, but the further they move away, the closer they actually get to it. And it loops around like that. And so that's a, a type of spherical or elliptical geometry. Um, and this idea, I just have to share a little story, blew my mind when I learned about it. Because when you're in high school or, you know, learning about math, everything is Euclidean geometry. Everything's the three-dimension XYZ axis, stuff like that. But when you take this three dimensions and you warp it into a sphere, elliptical, hyperbolic, like that's when things happen when you can go away and yet approach at the same time. And what really blew my mind, well, everyone knows, yeah, I'm going to say that. Everyone knows that the sum of interior angles of a triangle is 180 degrees. And when I was learning about spherical geometry, you can take that same triangle and when you put it on a sphere, 
then you get three right angles, which is three 90 degree angles. That's way more than 180 degrees. My mind was blown. I remember sitting in my math class at university going, what just happened to my world? Because my entire perspective on math changed when I learned about this non-Euclidean geometry. It blew my mind. So I just, I love seeing this idea of, you know, that it's not this normal Euclidean space that we're in, that we're warping it, we're making it spherical, and that, you know, when you're driving away from it, you're actually coming closer. I I just love that idea of non-Euclidean geometry in that episode where silence has lease. Yeah, I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I guess if it kind of comes back to them, they are inside of like a spherical space in order for that to happen. Um, and I like that too. I, similar thing happened to me when my mind was kind of blown by non-Euclidean geometry, like a triangle can be more than 180 degrees. I think there's some circumstances where it can even be less just depending on how you warp the space. It's bizarre. That's in a, that's in a hyperbolic, uh, space. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? There's actually one other non-Euclidean reference in that episode. Oh, do share. <laughs> so it, I had talked about it a little bit, but I just given a summary where Data and Troy come in when the self-destruct sequence is on and Picard's in his quarters and Data asks, what is death? Right. And I actually really like how Picard, you know, talks about, well, for some people it's, it's heaven. For some people it's nothingness. And then Data asks, well, what do you believe, sir? And Picard says, considering the marvelous complexity of our universe, its clockwork perfection, its balances of this against that, matter, energy, gravitation, time, dimension, I believe that our existence must be more than either of these philosophies, that what we are goes beyond Euclid and any other practical measuring systems, and that our existence is part of a reality beyond what we understand now as reality. First of all, I love that Picard is going like that deep into like the philosophical realm, but he talks about going beyond Euclid to something that's non-Euclidean, which I guess is kind of the other references in the episode. So yes, yes. I love that too. I didn't write that down, but good job for catching that. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So if we have any, any listeners left, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (gasps) If I didn't put them all to sleep. It's no, no, but it's unfortunate because some people think that math can't be fun or that it's it's something you know that they don't get but i think that there's a lot of really cool interesting stuff in math but you're still awake right richard (laughs) no response i know you're awake i see you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm still here (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's fun (laughs) (laughs) oh dear no Uh, i i'm just yeah i i Math was fun in high school. It wasn't. It wasn't uh, beyond that. That was. That was it for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did have some listeners say that they liked my math references. So, to those two listeners, this <laughs> is for two you. Listeners. <laughs> There's got to be more than that. Yeah, write to us if you like when we talk about math. I was going to say not <laughs> everyone is on the Babel conference <laughs> either. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I enjoy it. But I'm. I'm kind of a geek about those math things. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, so, any other honorable mentions? No, those mine were two? already okay. picked or already um, said. Said, yeah. Yes, mentioned, said. mentioned, said, mentioned, taken. Yeah. So, um, 
Pretty much mine were taken as well because the other honorable mentions I had were Riker in a Matter of Honor and um, and Worf in the Icarus Factor, which I just briefly mentioned with the pain sticks. I, maybe I'll talk about it a little bit because we only talked about it because Richard should have chosen it. But. Well, I, I, I completely forgot about that. I was like, I, I was like, uh, I, and I, I swear, to, I swear, I thought that was in season three, but I guess I, I must have overlooked it's in, it. It's in season two. Well, and it's easy to overlook because the Icarus factor is mostly about Riker and his father, who's visiting, mm. and the conflict they have, and they fight in Ambojitsu and all this stuff. But then there's a subplot where Worf is, I guess. Depressed. Maybe more more like stone faced than he usually is. <laughs> but he's he's kind of like a little yeah, a little depressed and you know, Wesley and Jordy and I think Pulaski find out that it has to do with this ritual, but they make it possible for him to do this ritual in the holodeck. And I really like that because he's doing this and they're there as his friends, and it's the first time really I think that he lets someone else in on that kind of you know inner life like an intimate moment like this is like an important Klingon ritual and he's being hit with these pain sticks and has to endure it and all of that this is an important moment where he's letting people in it's like I think one of the first times where he really lets people in so I guess that would be my honorable mention because I love that that there's that moment where people can actually help him and really kind of share a very like intimate, important moment with him. Well, and I think it really shows, again, what I was talking about earlier, like Wesley, you know, being really a part of this crew and kudos to him for figuring it out and doing the research and figuring out it's Worf's birthday or right of ascension or whatever, you know, that he's in and then he gathers the troops and that they have enough respect for Wesley to you know, consider what he's saying and then to help his friend. So I like the inclusion of Wesley. I think it's a really good uh, season overall for Wesley. I think so. I know Richard disagrees, but. Yes. <laughs> Always. He can have Always. his opinions, yeah. but I'm right. All right, great. Now that we've gone over all of our choices and honorable mentions, uh, do you want to give some final thoughts, Amy? Yeah. Again, as I started at the beginning of this Season two is so good. I really had a hard time uh, picking just three. And starting with the child, with Deanna Troy, and going all the way down through each of the episodes in season two is so much fun. I find watching them, each episode, so enjoyable. And I think we really get to see... The characters, their more lighthearted side that we have highlighted, you know, just today on how lighthearted and how the crew of the Enterprise is really coming together and acting more like a family. And I think it's definitely highlighted here in in this season that we get to see that. Excellent. Richard, your final thoughts. Uh, season two is not one of my favorites. Uh, I actually had a very difficult time with this one. Uh, I mean, because there are a couple episodes that I think are throwaways. Um, they don't really contribute to the overall. Uh, but in, you know, know, I mean, there's, I mean, like I said, I mean, there's some, I mean, in the episodes that are really good, actually have some really heavy weight to it and actually, uh, you know, propel those characters and, you know, those, those moments are great and, and whatnot. But I mean, I feel like, uh, 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of uh, season two. Uh, it's really, I'm not really a fan of the first three seasons. <laughs> I mean, three. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, the first three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But like, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it was it was difficult for me to find um, at least five is what is what I found. But like I said, you know, they were already chosen and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I'm glad we, I'm glad we're all looking over these because. I completely, obviously, completely forgot about some of it. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, um, before I give my final thoughts, I just wanted to let our listeners know that um, one of the things that we'll be doing after our final thoughts in this and future episodes is giving a little preview of the next episode. So make sure you stick around for that. So, for my final thoughts for this, um, I actually like season two quite a bit. I think there's a lot of great stuff. Um, is it my favorite or the best season? I don't think so, but I think it's really good. And I actually found more moments here than I did when trying to go through season one and to find some moments. And I think when we did the character moments for the first season, there were probably more just on the main characters. And we found more for, um, you know, some of the, the guest characters or recurring characters like Guinan and Kalar and Moriarty and, um, and characters like that, not just the, the the main characters. So I I really like that it's kind of broadening out, and I think we'll see that more and more as we go through you know the the later and later seasons. But I think it was great. There was some you know really dramatic stuff, some really funny stuff. I mean, the best kind of stuff we love about the next generation. It, I I find it to be a really great mix of things that are lighthearted with things that are very serious, things that are deep and philosophical with things that are just fun, like, you know, Guinan and Riker flirting, right? So I think there's a lot of really great stuff um, in in season two. And probably, I mean, I had to eliminate a couple of things because I actually found more choices than, than I could use. And I didn't look quite as deeply into every episode in order to find something. So and it's probably going to get harder and harder as we get further along. But Agreed. But yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's a different kind of perspective to look at, at the seasons in, and, and I'm glad that, uh, that we're doing this. So I did promise we'd give a little preview of what we'll be talking about next week. So we're actually going to be doing a character profile on Gowron. So we're going to cover his appearances in the episodes Reunion, Redemption Parts 1 and 2, and Rightful Heir. So if you want to rewatch those to... Uh, take a look at those episodes and, you know, Gowron in, in that context, um, that would be great. Well, I'll certainly be rewatching those and we'll be giving our thoughts on, on, uh, Gowron. I'm sure you're looking forward to that, Richard. I almost great certainly Klingon am. character, right? <laughs> All bug eyed yeah. and everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a classic character. <laughs> Hope you're looking forward to it as well, Amy. Oh yes. I love the Worf and Klingon story. It's definitely right up there. Well, it's been so much fun going over our favorite character moments from Season 2 of The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. Yeah, that's definitely the case, I I think, for sure. Well, in this novel, it's uh, very much about the Klingons and their society, and it's from the perspective for the mo- there's there's a framing story basically in which uh, Captain Kirk starts reading a book called The Final Reflection, which is 
told from the perspective of the Klingons, and, and it's ostensibly the book that we are reading here. This is the book that Kirk's reading in this book. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. Starts off with a quote, Revenge is a dish that is best served cold, and is credited as an old Klingon proverb. So, yeah, that means no, that Kill Bill takes going. place in the Star Trek universe. To the journey! I like that they take a two-dimensional movie and watch it in a three-dimensional environment, only to experience it as a two-dimensional image watched in 3D that we are watching at home on a two-dimensional screen. This is meta beyond meta beyond meta. And he's gone meta again. You really have gone meta now. My brain just <laughs> failed completely during that. Warp 5. And I think it's a, it's one that gets overlooked a lot because of a couple reasons. I think it gets overlooked because it's simply a, a one-shot episode in season 4. And I think it gets overlooked because it seems like a fan service episode for the Arganians. And honestly, every time I start watching the episode, I'm like, why do we need the Arganians in season 4? And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcast. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That'll help other listeners to find us. And if you're not an Apple user, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and if you're not a Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Speaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can and you can stream and download the MP3 f- file from the uh, our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. Now, if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Gray. That will come right to us. We love getting your emails, so go ahead and send away. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Justin, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, currently tweeting out my Season 4 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Richard, where can people find you when you're not getting hit with pain sticks on the holodeck? Uh, never. I'm never anywhere <laughs> outside that. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, they can actually find me on uh, Facebook as well. Uh, I pop in here and there in the Babel Conference. And they can also find me on Twitter. I am, uh, my handle is xransom. Wow, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> anyway, AB, where can they find you? You can find me here on the network. I do a little show called Postcards from the Edge, and that talks about the fan response for the new Star Trek series Discovery. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. 
visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website. The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, the amazing Justin Ozer, and Michael Huter. <laughs> Thank you for supporting Earl Grey as, a, as always. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Great joy and gratitude. Just remember that math is fun. Mm-hmm.